Well, it is the first Sunday in December, which I, uh, time goes fast, right? And uh, with the fact that it's December and there's snow on the ground, um, can I say, you're clapping, no. can I say officially, like, like it's the Christmas season, is that, is that okay? All right, so we're good to go for the next month then to hear uh, that it's the Christmas season here at Bethlehem. And it's a, it's a special season of the year, no doubt. Uh, for some of us, um, I'm one of them, it's my favorite season of the year. Uh, for some of you, though, um, it's not. And that's just not because, um, you know, you're Scrooge. Um, it's because maybe sometimes the Christmas season sort of magnifies some of the deep valleys or hurts, uh, especially when it comes to family relationships or maybe a family member who's no longer uh, with us here on this earth and things. So rec- I do recognize that. And there's different emotions that come to the Christmas season. There's also a busyness to it. Like, you know, if you don't have a certain gathering on your calendar yet, you're probably not going to get it on, right? There's just so much, whether it be gatherings or parties or whatever it is between now and December 25th and um, lots of different traditions that your family might have. And in fact, as we kind of launch into the series today, I want to do just a little bit of class participation. Um, And I want you, if you can, ideally to turn to someone that you didn't come to church with today. It can be family to family, individual to individual. But could you take a moment and turn to someone and share with them one of your favorite Christmas season traditions? One of your favorite Christmas season traditions, okay? It's maybe an opportunity to meet someone new. Or say hi to your wife for the first time this morning. I don't know. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, 15 seconds. It's not all the Christmas traditions, just one. Five seconds. All right, cool. Did, uh, did anyone say baking cookies or other Christmas goodies? The Kicker family, all about that? <laughs> That's good. Um, how about watching your favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, did you say that? And what is it, Hans? Polar Express. I'm an... Die Hard? That's not a Christmas movie. What the? (laughs) That figures, Josh. Mine lately, the last decade or so, has been Elf. Uh, That's an instant classic, right? Um, So there's that. Did anyone say something around either getting the Christmas tree or decorating the Christmas tree? A few people. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then here's the one, the tradition that, like, if you think talking about politics is polarizing, like, this is the creme de la creme of polarization. And do you open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Like, that would be a good thing to talk through with someone you're dating before you get engaged with them because it can cause problems, no doubt. And just so that everyone, you know, figures out the right time, let me just ask, uh, Christmas Eve opening of presents, raise your hand. Okay. And Christmas Day, Christmas Day opening? 
It's about 50. Some people just don't open presents or they just don't raise their hand in church. That's one of the, one of the other. Um, one of the traditions that my family um, has tried to, uh, Carrie and I have tried to have with our family over probably about the last 10 years or so, is we try to find a night on the week leading up to Christmas where there's no basketball practice or a game or no, just no other activity. And um, we get the family all pile into the car and go look at Christmas lights in some of the neighborhoods that are pretty well decorated. And um, I'm going to be honest with you that um, I usually have some pretty grand expectations as to how this Christmas light viewing experience is going to go. And so let me kind of tell you what goes through my mind. Um, so what happens is we, we say, hey, we're going to go look at Christmas, like tonight's the night. And then what's supposed to happen is all the kids like smile. And, and then we all go into the car and everyone's got like a mug of the perfect hot cocoa, like the best like cocoa water ratio that there is. Like it's just the perfect cup. And, and then we get into the car and we turn on the Christmas music and it's the, the perfect song. And you can fill in the blank as to what that might be for you. And it's so awesome that like we don't choreograph it, but like we just start swaying as a family, all six of us. And, and four-part harmony, you know, we're singing along. And, and then as we're looking and we're getting into a neighborhood, we're looking at the lights. Like there's a twinkle in the, the lights, but there's also a twinkle in their eyes. Like I don't know what that means, but I want a twinkle in their eyes. And then, and then when it's, you know, the night goes super well and we're about to, to leave and I have to break the news to the kids. This is all in my brain yet, right? I have to break the news. It's time to go. And, and the kids turn to me. This, this is my, and they're like, Papa? And, and they've never said Papa before, but they say it on Little House in the Prairie, and I, it's like, they need to say it. So, Papa? Okay. If I had only one wish this Christmas, it would be that this night would not end. And that, like, is, like, that would be so awesome. And I might be exaggerating just a little bit as to what my expectations are. But what I will say that's not an exaggeration is that I expect for it to go well, and I want the kids to enjoy this, and it rarely happens that way. Okay? Has it ever happened where the reality of life didn't meet the expectations that you had for it? <laughs> Never. Like... All the time, right? <laughs> Whether it's the Christmas season, expectations versus reality, or whether it's just life in general, very rarely do our expectations and uh, the reality of life or of Christmas, very rarely do they match or do they add up. And, and the, the honest truth is that as we try to diagnose that or try to work through that, I think in some ways dealing with it is easier if you don't believe in God. Because if there is no God, then everything is just random. And of course my life might have ups and downs or peaks and valleys. It's just random. But if you're someone like me who does believe in a perfect, holy, almighty, and loving God, it's hard. We struggle. We struggle with this, this fact that life is 
not always up and to the right. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. If you're feeling that being with God means um, perfect mugs of hot cocoa and four-part harmony every day, or maybe in a different way that you feel like being on God's team means more good things than bad, um, you're wrong. That's your feeling, but has no basis in God's truth or God's reality. In fact, right before Jesus died for the world, he gathered his closest friends together, his followers together. And uh, one of the things he shared with them were expectations of life. And some of you are going to remember this verse, but it goes like this. In this world, you will have trouble. As Jesus is about to leave, as his, his disciples are going to be there without him, physically speaking, as he dies and rises again, he sets the expectations that in this world, there's going to be problems. There's going to be trouble. Now, here's where we better understand the why. It's not because God wanted it that way. It's not because he's unloving. The reason is humanity. We broke his perfection with sin. And so until Jesus returns, there is a brokenness that we're going to live in and to live with. And as we set the sort of the, the basis for this series, um, it's going to be a little bit like literally of a journey that we're going to be on. And our first fill-in helps to sort of set that, that as you journey through life, expect there to be changing terrain. You would never expect to drive to Colorado and it to be flat the entire way, right? If we expect to go through life and it's either flat or up to the right all the time, then we're expecting something that does not have basis in the reality of a broken world. And so our series goal then, if this is kind of the, the platform for the series, the series goal is this, that we, through the next four weeks, that we would grow in confidence that God is always with us, no matter what terrain we're going through or traveling in, and that he has a plan and a purpose for every season and every terrain. He's always with us, and he has a plan and a purpose for every season. So there's going to be those seasons of life where you're going to feel like you're on top of the mountain. Like this is a great day and things could not go any better. And some of us are pessimistic. So it's like they always could be better. But, you know, for you, you know, whatever your best day is, those are the mountaintop days. That, that things are just great. And then as we travel through life, there's going to be there's going to be days where there's hardship and seasons where there's difficulty and problems. That's, that's the way it is in a, in a broken world. But what is helpful for us as we journey is how do we navigate those different times of life? How do we understand God with us through the different terrain? And so there's four different seasons of life that we're going to unpack over the next 
four weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to uh, have God with us in the wilderness. Those are those seasons of life where we're just kind of, seems like we're just waiting on God. <laughs> and, and, and we kind of, in some ways, feel like we're pressing pause and we're just kind of spinning our wheels. And so that's the, we're wandering in the wilderness. Um, we're going to look, what does it mean that God is with us in the storms? Um, those are those instances where, it, like, Whatever it was, and it was a bad thing, it just came out of the blue. You weren't expecting it to happen. It just came on you quick. And it may leave quick, but it's the, it's the quickness, it's the immediacy of it that just stra- stops you in your tracks. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the mountaintops. How is God with us during those? And I will tell you, of the four we're going to look at, this one's the most dangerous. Because it's when things are going well that we forget our need for God the easiest. We'll get there. But today what we're going to talk about is the valley. How is God with us through not the mountaintops, but the valleys of life? And how do I diagnose and, and see God's presence in these valleys that we go through that seem to be so long. The, the definition I'm working with for a valley today, this is just uh, my definition. It's not a biblical definition, but just the, the valley is this, an extended season of hardship or pain. An extended season of hardship or pain. And as I, I thought about, you know, how do we unpack this from a scriptural perspective and what truth does God have for us in this? Um, I, I thought of a man in the Bible that most of you have heard of. His name is David. And uh, David was king of Israel um, during part of its height, which was about a thousand years before Jesus, a thousand BC. And you would think that being the king of Israel and being rich and having a strong army and, and all that stuff, that for David, things would have been always up and to the right. Um, but they weren't. And some of his valleys, and this is true about valleys, we're not going to talk a lot about it today, but some of his valleys were his own doing. Like he went through a valley because he decided to go into the valley and he made some bad decisions. There were some valleys, though, that just came upon him. And what I'm thinking of specifically is uh, sort of the backstory to how David became king. So when he was 12 or 13 years old, a prophet came to his home and told his dad, David's dad, Jesse, that one of your sons is going to be the next king. And they get all the way to the youngest son, who is out shepherding sheep, and said, this is the guy. And when he was 12 or 13 years old, David was anointed as the next king of Israel. And guess what happened next? Nothing happened. You see, there already was a king of Israel. His name was Saul, and he had no intention of giving it up. And so over time, Saul began to recognize that, whether Saul believed it was from God or not, that David had this claim on being the next king, and that people started talking about that, and David started to become popular. And what does a king do when someone's threatening the throne? You kill him. And so Saul set out to kill David. For seven or eight years, David lived 
constantly on the run as a fugitive, running from not just a king, but the armies of which he was in charge of. For seven or eight years, I'm guessing, David didn't sleep without one eye kind of open, knowing that Saul at any time could catch up with him or his men could catch up with him and his life would be over. You talk about a valley, huh? And when's this going to change? Saul's still the king. Seven or eight year valley. And as David later did become king, 30 years old. Okay, so he waited just over 15 years to become king. He looks back on his life, and I, I have no doubt thought in part about that season of life that I just described. And he wrote a song about the valleys of life. Did you know God has a hymnal? Um, it's not red. Uh, it's, uh, it's in the Bible. It's the book of Psalms. And, and the song that David wrote about the valley is one that some of you, because you've gone to church for a while, know just by the number, Psalm 23. Others of you, I'm guessing all of you probably, are going to recognize it as soon as I read the very first verse. The song that David wrote about the valley of life starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, in order for us to understand the full meaning of this psalm, I think it's wise for us to talk a little bit about the sheep-shepherd relationship. Okay, this is 3,000 years ago. Things change. You, you think about today when farmers or ranchers raise animals as their income, for their income or at, for a living, um, especially over the last you know, 15, 20 years, um, one farmer, one rancher, it's really one corporation, will sort of raise thousands of cattle or thousands of pigs. And the owner of the cows and the pigs, um, you know, they don't usually know how many they have, much less <laughs> know each one. The, the animals come in. I don't even know how long they have them, but they're slaughtered at a certain point, And then they're sold, and that's it. They're a possession, okay? 3,000 years ago, and even at the time of Jesus, uh, it kind of was a similar idea, um, a shepherd would be in charge of maybe 50 sheep. And the value of sheep was not in their meat, although that's fine, but more so in their wool. And so you wouldn't receive 50 sheep and then slaughter 50 sheep. You would have sheep for a while because every year there would be income from the shearing of the sheep. And so when you think of a sheep-shepherd relationship, don't think large-scale farmer with 1,000 cattle. Think how you feel about a beloved pet. Think about how your heart goes out towards uh, an animal that is really a part of the family. I, I was thinking about this, like, did, did the shepherds have names for, for the sheep, you know? Like, there's Fuzzy over there. You know, he always gives us a Fuzzy. There's Curly. Or, you know, how about, now stick with me here. How about Barnabas? You know, like, do you get the, 
All right. Okay. I tried. I, I worked on my baing for a while, and it just uh, fell flat, fell short. I was, I was on to something, too, there. But uh, anyway, so not only was there that relationship of sheep to shepherd that meant a very intimate relationship, sincere relationship, but the truth of the matter is that sheep really need a shepherd. I don't know how many of you are sheep lovers. So if you are, just put your fingers in your ears because I'm going to hurt your feelings here. Um, sheep don't have a lot going for them. I'll say that nicely. Um, first of all, uh, sheep are quite dumb animals from which I'm told. Um, again, if you love sheep, fingers in the ears here. Um, so as an example, you notice how pictures always show them with their heads down eating grass because that's what they do. And in fact, I've read that a predator could be eerily close and they will have no clue because they are so sort of focused on the grass where they'll, you know, eat it down to the dirt and be oblivious to anything going around them. So they're dumb. Um, they're slow. Have you ever seen a fast sheep? Um, no. Um, they're not fierce. Uh, no fangs, no claws, uh, nothing like that. Um, they really just don't have anything going for them at all. Except one thing. Every good sheep, every sheep has a shepherd. Sheep on their own are dumb, slow, and helpless. But you don't find sheep today, but especially 3,000 years ago. You do not find sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd is the sheep's protection. The shepherd is the sheep's direction. The shepherd is the sheep's strength. And this isn't just, again, this is why I started with this. It's not just like, you know, some random animal that I'm raising to slaughter. No, there is a deep relationship of love between a shepherd and his sheep. And so here's what I want you to understand. When you're called a sheep, it's not very glorious. But it is very important because our next fill-in for today. I lack nothing. Not because I have my act together. Not because I'm really fast. Not because I'm really smart. Not because I'm really strong. I lack nothing because I, as a sheep, have a shepherd. When David thought about years later, how to best describe the relationship between people and God. He was inspired by God to write about this relationship. The way it best looks, the way you 3,000 years ago people can best understand the relationship is how a shepherd takes care of the sheep. And we lack nothing when we have that shepherd. And then David goes on to describe um, a little bit more about what the shepherd does for the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, this, I never, I never realized this, but as I did my, my Hebrew study this week, like, this is like a force thing. Um, it, it goes to show, again, like, the inadequacy of sheep. Like, they may be in green, green pastures, but they don't know to lie there. The shepherd even needs to tell them when they're in a good place and make them lie down. Huh? Does that ring a bell for 
any of us maybe. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. There's a, a whole sermon series that could be done just on these verses. But at the end of the day, here's what we realize, especially with this shepherd refreshes my soul, is that the shepherd's first concern for his sheep, God's first concern for us, is not physical blessing, but it's the refreshment of our soul and our relationship with him as our God. Verse 3 continues. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You're feeling like you've traveled into a valley. It feels so random. It feels sometimes like there's no good reason why I'm here. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a few minutes, but here's what I want you to understand before we get there. You are where you are, not by accident. Sometimes, like David in certain points in his life, he chose the route of the valley and he made some decisions that were, he needed to own. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are following and sometimes we find ourselves for reasons we cannot understand in the middle of the valley. I want you to know where you're at is not random, that God always, always guides his sheep along the right path. And then he does it, though, for his name's sake. You know, what I would prefer is he guides me along right paths for my happiness. He guides me along right paths for success. He guides me along the right path because the right path is paved with a certain type of house and a certain life and a certain age and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't say that. It says he guides me always along the right path, don't doubt it, for his namesake. So what does that mean? Well, how about this? Right paths, next slide, are not about your happiness. They are about God's purpose. When David writes that the shepherd guides you along the right path for his name's sake, it means that his guidance and his path is paved not again with my happiness, but it's paved in the direction of carrying out the purposes for which God ordained for our lives. And we did not get to choose those purposes. And frankly, I'm glad I didn't because I would have messed it up. But he chose the purpose for you before creation. And he guides you along right paths to carry out the purposes that he has for you. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we get to the valley part, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This first parts about the valley of the shadow of death. When, when do you normally hear that part read or this psalm read most of the time? Funerals, right? And so I think there's this misnomer that this phrase 
is specifically referencing the days or hours or weeks right before we die. And that maybe the valley of the shadow of death is, you know, is hospice care. You know, that, that time frame right before we die. And what I would tell you is that that's part of the valley of the shadow of death. But in a very real way, you know when walking through the valley of the shadow of death begins? When we're born. Like, think about it this way. How much of your life is directed or influenced by the fact that we might die someday? Like, do you have life insurance? Why? Health insurance? Why? Seatbelts? Why? Doctors? Do you take vitamins? Why? <laughs> I mean, in some ways it's easier to think about what things aren't influenced by the fact that this life is temporal. Hmm? You see, while we don't go through seasons that are bad all the time in this life, that's by God's grace, our whole lives have the shadow of death, doesn't it? But also contained in there would be specific seasons of extreme hardship and pain. These valleys of extended hardship and pain. He says, as I walk through them, even though I walk through them, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's the theme of this whole series, that as we walk, God is with us every step of the way. And I think that we have issues with this because there are seasons of life where it just doesn't feel like a loving, powerful God is with us. So is this just some pastor speak to try to give you good, uh, good feelings and then send you off? I think there's some help we find in the rest of the verse. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so what's referenced is the shepherd's staff. And so uh, specifically for this message, um, I did some work a month ago and had an authentic shepherd's staff mailed in from Israel. Um, Hans, could you hand that to me, please? Um, I got here just in the nick of time. Um, uh, yeah, or it might be from my garage in Home Depot because I couldn't find a shepherd's staff, but this will work. So you know a shepherd's crook or a shepherd's staff. On, on the one end, there's like this hook, right? Uh, you know, picture it. What's the hook used for in a shepherd's staff? Yeah, you're doing it, helmet. Yeah, sheep is in trouble. Save it, right? Sheep's uh, near a cliff, going to fall off. Save it. Sheep's about to go down into a valley and tumble because they got big bodies and stubby little legs. Again, if you love sheep, this is the wrong sermon for you, okay? Um, save it from the valley. And we love that part of the shepherd's staff. We love that part of being a Christian. I'm in a difficult spot. God, love me. 
I'm going in a bad area of life. God, you're all about grace. <laughs> Pull me back. Save me from the valley. And when he does and the valley is short, oh, praise God, right? And you should praise God in those moments. Absolutely. But that doesn't always happen, does it? Did you know that there's another side or end to the shepherd's staff? What's that used for? <laughs> Tom said poke. You're starting to wander. Kind of knock you on the side of the head a little bit. You're starting to go in a direction. And the shepherd could just come in and save you all the time. But maybe instead, he knocks you. Because he wants you to grow and not to get into that valley again. And do you think sheep like getting hit on the head by the other end of the shepherd's crook? I'd rather be saved. But sometimes the best thing for sheep is to be knocked. You see, here's the truth. When you're in a valley... Next When you're in a valley, you will want to go. But God may want you to grow. Now, again, like if you're thinking like, oh, Ben, you're just like kind of making this all sound good. And I don't know if that's true. Like I don't even know how that works. Like how could, how could not saving me be better? Um, think about parenting for a moment. Have you ever run in to the parent, or do you know the parent, who every time their child has a little bit of adversity, they like swoop in with a crook, crook side of the shepherd's staff and pulls them out. So like I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about like um, there's a classmate who's not always smiling at them or something. I, I don't know what it is. And mom or dad feels like they need to swoop in and save them. Or the coach isn't playing them enough. And, you know, sometimes there's reasons to talk to the coach. Most of the time, parents, like, just pause a second, put down the phone. Don't call the coach, okay? It's just a game, all right? But there are parents like that, that every little thing, I got to save my kid because that's my role and that's my job. And I'm not saying there's not those times. Sometimes we need to. But a good parent understands what a good shepherd knows. That sometimes the best thing for my child is to walk through the valley a little bit. And I wish there was a handbook because I tend to be the hook side. Like, oh, you're not going to say that about my son and or daughter. And, you know, like, let's fix this, right? Sometimes the best thing a parent does is to not fix it for them. To let them walk through it with guidance because you're still with them, aren't you, through that valley? It makes sense, doesn't it? That's what God does for us. Sometimes he decides in his infinite wisdom, I'm going to save that sheep and take away the valley. And sometimes he's like, you want to go, but I want you to grow because you're not a finished product or project He's 
as long as we're on this earth, he's still working on us, still pruning us. And sometimes, and we don't always get it or understand all the details, sometimes the best thing for us is to not be taken out of the valley. But the best way out is sometimes through. Our next fill-in. God knows when going through the valley is better for you than getting out. (laughs) You see, with a parent, I don't always know. I don't know what to do. Half the time, I don't know what to do as a parent. Like, pray. (laughs) right. But God has, as the perfect shepherd, the perfect understanding of what we need. And sometimes it is better for us instead of being pulled out to go through. And that's so important for us to remember because sometimes when we're in the midst of the valley, we get all this stuff inside of us that starts to bubble up and we don't know where it comes from. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the fact that we don't have perfect trust or faith in God, which we won't have until heaven, but we need to identify that, that bitterness, that anger, that depression, as there's roots to it that aren't trusting the shepherd. Because if we really trusted that God is the good shepherd and that with that shepherd we lack nothing, then we'd act differently sometimes. We'd feel differently sometimes. And I'm not going to send you away today with a big guilt trip about how you're feeling because I get it. And it's exhausting being in the valley. But it's not because God's not there with you. It's because the shepherd has a staff and has two sides. And sometimes he saves you from it and takes you out of it. And sometimes he lets you walk. And all along, not on your own, but with you. I'm not saying you should go out and then pray, Lord, give me a valley. (laughs) Don't do that. Like, that's weird. And we would need to talk, you know, about your prayers at that point. Like, I'm not saying we pray for the valley. I'm saying that in the midst of the valley, we praise. And on the mountaintop, we praise. And in the wilderness, we praise. We have a good shepherd, and with him, we lack nothing. God loves you too much to pull you out of the valley sometimes. God with us. It's the title of the series. And now we're at a, the right place to see how God with us and Christmas connect. Because as uh, God was through the angel telling Joseph and Mary that they were going to have a child, um, there's this famous verse, Matthew 1. All this took place to fill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call that son Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think sometimes like we doubt maybe whether God really understands us because he's God and where's he living? A place where there's perfect mugs of hot cocoa singing in perfect four-part harmony and twinkles in everyone's eyes, right? He's in heaven, how can he understand? 
just wait. Because God decided to become a human being. And he's walked the valley. I don't think anyone could argue it was worse. His life, talk about humble and talk about problems. His death, I mean, crucifixion stinks. You can quote me on that. But how about being forsaken by God? I've never experienced that. Praise God, I never will. And that shepherd who goes with us every step guides us, saves us. And then he saw the enemy of sin and he saw how powerless we were and he saw how all we could really do is bah. He came between us and the enemy. The shepherd gave his life for the sheep. So we may not always understand God's plan, but don't kid yourself to think he doesn't get it. He knows. And he walked through the valley, even though he didn't have to, for us. And so what's our application today? What is our takeaway? How about this? Next one. One more. Follow with more faith and less fear. You saw that screen. If God brought you to it, he's going to bring you through it. You can bet on that. So why so scared? Why so fearful? You know, many of us know the Psalm 23, but the question is, do you know the shepherd? You could rattle off the Psalm, but you understand the shepherd. Because I tell you, if you did, you would see a shepherd who gets it right all the time and who has promised to be with us in the valley. And so sometimes we just got to get rid of those old ways of thinking and say, I'm taking a stand today and I'm not going to get rid of my fear forever because that's just, I'm broken, but I'm not going to live in fear like I used to. I'm going to follow with more fear, more faith and less fear. In those moments when you're feeling like, okay, what do I do? Open up to Psalm 23 and be reminded once again of the shepherd, the shepherd that goes with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and love. Sometimes I probably think more of myself than I should. And today it was humbling to realize that um, I'm dumb, helpless, and slow. But I lack nothing because you are my shepherd. And you have promised to walk with me in all seasons. And right by my side through the valley. Help me to leave this place and to live with more faith and less fear. In Jesus, our good shepherd's name, we pray. Amen.